Okay. So in Acts 10, it's a very uh, familiar story for us, the, the story of Cornelius. And I'll, again, we're not going to read all of this account. But if you just look in the first two verses, I think we, we see something that, as Christians, we need to understand if we're going to have an evangelistic attitude. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continually. Just in those two verses, um, I think there's something that helps me understand the fact that there are devout people in this world who need salvation. Um, I would dare say Cornelius is a better man than I am, just in, in, in verse 2. Um, and pairing that with verse 1, think about the responsibilities he had in his, what we sometimes we call secular life. I'm becoming less enamored with that, that phrase. But um, he had a job. And he had a hundred men under him. That's, that's the definition of a centurion. The word century comes from that. Um, that's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of people to deal with. That's a lot of reason to be cynical. And, you know, you've got a hundred personalities you've got to try to keep in order. Um, but he was devout. And we, we see in verse 2 what he was committed to, giving alms to the Jewish people. Because of his respect for God, not because he was trying to get some kind of political favors. He prayed to God continually. Um, he was a devout good man and he needed salvation so I think as as Christians right, when we're out in our secular lives I mean uh, you know when we're living life and we're not here worshiping and singing songs and, but we're out in the world we need to understand that we're going to meet devout people. And those devout people may need salvation. They may pray to God all the time. You may have conversations about the things they're praying about. But we also need to keep at the forefront of our mind that our purpose in this world is to spread, help spread the borders of the kingdom by casting seed and allowing God to bring forth growth. And so... We shouldn't say, well, that's a devout person. You know, There's nothing I can say to them that they haven't heard. I mean, we can come up with a million excuses, right? Well, I'm, they're better than me in how they're serving God. So how, how am I supposed to talk to them about salvation? Um, that's just Satan. You know, trying to make you feel uncomfortable. Trying just to get us to not say anything. And when, when all we really have to say is, tell me about, tell me about salvation. You just begin a conversation. How, how is a person saved? You just begin a conversation. And then, in that conversation, we can say, well, I read in Acts 2, or I read in Acts 22, or I read in Romans 6, or Romans 10. These various aspects of salvation. And then we have spread the seed. And if that's a, that devout person needed salvation, 
they've heard it. They may have more questions or want to come back to us. Right? Look at Cornelius' <coughs> attitude. Look in verse 30. I love this attitude. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. Cornelius said, this is after Peter has now come to his home with some brethren. Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius... Your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Some people will have that attitude. They will say, I've never thought of that before. I want to hear more. Not everyone's going to have that attitude. But that's out of our hands. What's in our hands is whether we tell them the gospel. So there's another example in Acts. Go back one chapter. Acts chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1 see a different individual who needed salvation. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Now drop down to verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is, chosen, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. There are not just devout people who need salvation, there are enemies who need salvation. Um, blatant, overt enemies. Um, Saul wasn't doing anything behind the scenes. Uh, he was out forcefully opposing Christians and Christianity in general. And he needed salvation. Um, we're going to meet people in our lives who are stated, opposed, I mean, opponents of Christianity. But Ananias was afraid of going to tell Saul what he needed to hear. We don't know the hearts of our enemies. 
this is, and I'm speaking, I can only speak from my personal experience. I don't know about you, but I always impute the worst motives to my enemies. I say, well, the reason they are this way is because of how they feel about me. And I define in my head how they feel about me or how they feel about God. I come up with their motives without ever really finding out what their motives are. Um, if I didn't know anything about Saul, I would have just thought he's, he's just a murderous man. He enjoys murder or he enjoys persecution or bloodshed. He's just a hateful person. But we know, looking back, that wasn't his character at all. Even when he was in this, I mean, he admitted that he was being led by hatred. He was being led by rage. But that's not who he is. And so we need to kind of step back when we face enemies and say, you know, I don't really know why this person is this way. Maybe there's some traumatic thing that has happened to them recently or in their past. And they're feeding on that. that. That experience is feeding them and they feel this way. Maybe they don't understand salvation. Maybe they've never heard salvation. Whatever the reasons are, we should keep ourselves calm in the face of enemies and not change the message. The message that Cornelius heard is the same message that Saul heard. Jesus is Lord. And their responses were the same. Peter commanded that Cornelius and those around be baptized. Ananias in Acts 22, not, not in this account in Acts 9, but later when Paul is recounting it later, he says, Ananias said to me, why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Our message doesn't change if we're facing a devout person or we're facing an enemy. The message is the same. Now, back one more chapter in Acts 8. I'm not going to spend too much time here because we covered Simon uh, last week. But in Acts 9, I'm sorry, Acts 8, uh, beginning in verse 9, there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. They were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. In addition to devout people and enemies of Christ or enemies of our our own selves, enemies of Christianity, there are what I'm going to term sorcerers, magicians, that we're going to meet in our lives. There are people who aren't really devout toward God at all or even acknowledging Him. But they're not overtly, you know, hostile. You do your thing, I do my thing. Right? I'm a magician. This is what I do. This is how I get the bills paid. You know, I'm, I don't care if you're here preaching what you're preaching or, or not preaching what you're preaching. Right? Um, 
these are people who have put their faith in something they, on some level, already understand is not sustainable. It's not fulfilling. How do we know that Simon understood this? He, he believed. It says he formerly practiced magic in verse 9. He was formerly practicing magic. I think implying that he, he gave that up as part of his conviction and his belief. I mean, we, we tend to heap a lot of criticism on Simon for his attitude later right, in this chapter. But this isn't, this isn't a small thing here. To give up your identity. So we're going to meet people who have got their faith and their hope and their confidence placed in some worldly things. Right? But our message doesn't change. It's the exact same message. Look at what was being preached. In verse 12, they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And what was the result of that preaching? They were being baptized, men and women alike. It's the same message, it's the same result. The hearer does not determine the message that is taught. God determines that message. It's been set. That's that's our duty as Christians. I mean, those are the prince that's the principle we see being carried out by different men in different places, in different circumstances, just in these three chapters, right back to back to back. Um, and I think, if, if, we, if we think about Simon and we think about Saul at the same time, and what they gave up and what they came out of, um, we need to be sensitive to the fact that there are people who are going to have much higher hurdles to come over, to come out of their former lives than some of us have had to come out of. Um, I had essentially no hurdles to come out of. I mean, I was raised in a denominational mix, right? But the Bible was always revered, Jesus was respected, God was respected. So when I was presented with the gospel, I already had many of the attitudes that I needed to have toward the Bible in place. It was, this is truth, I need to obey it. Um, that's not going to be the case for someone like a magician, right? Simon. There are many people we're going to meet who have been, have completely different backgrounds. I mean, totally apart from a biblical background whatsoever. Um, and we need to be sensitive to the fact that those people are going to have a much higher hurdle to come across. It's not impossible. But once they come across that hurdle, look at, look at the result of Saul. When he, when he came out of everything that defined him, everything that defined him, except his zeal, maybe he didn't leave that behind. Right? His love for God, he didn't leave that behind. But everything that defined him socially, um, economically, politically, what was the result on the other side was someone who just changed the world, helped change the world. 
So I think when we're coming into contact with people who are enemies or those who are magicians coming out of something we don't understand, it doesn't change the message to them. But I think it, it would help, it would behoove us and help them if we're sensitive to the fact that this is their life that we're asking them to leave behind. And, and we, can, we need to try to sympathize and empathize with people and not say, well, your life is garbage. Don't you see that? Right? Um, so we may not say that, but sometimes our attitude towards people says that. And this is their life that we're asking them. Well, God is asking them to give up, but uh, we're, we're either going to give that message you know, softly or we're going to give that message with a baseball bat. And it's going to have two very different effects. We, we, we know that. Um, so I'm just going to make a couple of points here at the end for a couple minutes. One is we don't select hearers. That's not our job. We don't go out and say, well, this is a devout person. I'm going to talk to that person. This is an enemy. I'm not going to talk to that person. If there's anything that's shown in these, these three instances is that we don't select hearers. We speak. If God brings someone into contact with us, and I've been thinking about this. I don't know exactly how to say this. It sounds kind of weird, but it's not like God is in heaven looking and saying, all right, Josh, here's your opportunity you know, do a good job. I mean, I think there, there's in some aspect he is supporting us in that. But I think more what he's saying is, okay, Joe, here's your opportunity to hear the gospel from Josh. The real opportunity that happens when Christians come in contact with the lost is not an opportunity for the Christian. It's an opportunity for the lost. Right? That's the lost sheep. That's the one that needs to be saved. That's the one that they're going to throw a party in heaven over should they repent? Not because you did such a good job presenting the word. So don't get all tied up in not having all the answers and, and saying just the right things, right? Just be gentle. Love the person you're talking to and, and tell them the truth. Tell them the gospel. Um, that's what we see happening here. Peter, if he had chosen his hearers, he never would have spoken a word to Cornelius. Even when he got there, he said, it's not lawful for me to be here. Essentially saying, I didn't choose this. I've been told to come here. And your men were told to come find me. There's a lot going on. I know something's going on here. Why am I here? And that, that's, that's what are those verses that we just read in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 33, Cornelius' attitude. So, remember the message that we carry. Remember that you're going to come in contact with all different types of personalities and attitudes toward the gospel. But the message that we carry doesn't change. We may deliver it differently because someone has a background in the Bible or someone doesn't. Right? We may have to tell them more details about the Bible's fundamentals. But the message that Jesus died for that person's sin doesn't change. And what they must do to take advantage of that doesn't change. And then... God is basically saying, all right, good job. You, know, you're, you did what I told you to do. Now if he's going to say good job to the other person, right, enter in, you know, good and faithful serve, that servant is going to have to become obedient. That person is going to have to become obedient. Your success and failure is not tied up 
and whether someone believes you and obeys. Your success and failure is did you deliver the message to that person? Did you cast the seed? So if we remember the message, that will, I think, help us to give that same message consistently to everyone we meet. Um, that's all I have for this morning. Thanks for your attention and my rapid movement through that. Um, I think Robin has uh, one more song we'll sing. 